Welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. I am Sarah Tullock, TW's Podcast Production Manager. In this week's episode, we will be talking to Joanne Hart. She is the author of The High Wire Act and Other Tales of Survival, a collection of short stories published by Black Lawrence Press and is available now, as of September 2023. Her most recent book is Stamford 76, a true story of murder, corruption, race, and feminism in the 1970s. Stamford 76 is a crime memoir that weaves together the personal and public threads of a friend's 1976 bow and arrow death. Her novels are Float, a dark comedy about plastics in the ocean, and Addled, a social satire that intertwines animal rights with the politics of food. Joanne's work explores the relationship between humans and their environments. She lives in Gloucester, Massachusetts with her husband and a mixed bag of rescue livestock. Highwire Act and Other Tales of Survival is her first story collection. In this interview, Joanne and I discuss the practice of short story writing, curating a collection of short stories to be published, and the relationship between all beings and climate change. Welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. My name is Sarah Tullock. I am the podcast manager, and today I will be interviewing Joanne Hart. Joanne Hart is the author of High Wire Act and Other Tales of Survival, a collection of short fiction published by Black Lawrence Press and is available now wherever you buy books. Could you tell me a little bit about your motivation behind writing this collection? Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Sarah, at the Talking Writing Podcast. I'm always so happy to come and talk about fiction and climate. And so these stories were actually written over the course of 15 to 20 years, really, since I got my MFA at Bennington. I write books, but you know, you can't always write books. You can, in between, I just clear my head with short fiction. Often when I'm writing a book, I will jump ahead and work on a character to, and perhaps, and then sometimes that becomes its own short story. And there are a few of those in High Wire Act, based not really excerpts from books of my books, but sort of extrapolations from them where I was sort of exploring. So, so it seems it keeps asking, like, where did you have the time to do this collection of fiction? And well, it's, as I said, over a long period of time, it just makes, and they've all been published in literary magazines. Thank you, literary magazines. Thank you, like Talking Writing, who actually published a short, an essay of mine that was from Stanford 76. So they've all been published. And then so eventually you put them together and form a collection to go out into the world and submit them to to contests and so it took me a while to realize what my themes were in the stories because it's nice to have a collection that is thematically connected. And so, but eventually like reading over, I realized this is really what I write about all the time. If not animals, then nature. And then climate fiction is just nature that's sort of turning on us. And so when I assembled uh, the collection, I this particular collection, I was very much thinking of 
the theme of survival. How do we survive climate change or not? How do we simply live through it? So some were written fairly recently in the past two or three years. And those are where I'm also doing a little speculative fiction, meaning that I'm they're set in the future, which is something that I think comes naturally when you're writing about climate change, because your mind just goes to what's going to happen. What if we don't turn? We already It's already, frankly, a little late for turning anything around. We are already experiencing climate change, so it's going to get worse. And so that it's just where my mind goes. So I hope that answers your question. It does. It was beautifully. It was well said. My next question was about why short stories? And you touched on this a bit as that you had submitted these to magazines and I wanted to ask as well, to collect all these short stories and put them together in one book, what was your motivation behind that? Because I think for myself as a novelist, I would find a center thread and create one novel from that. Why were you thinking of putting all these together and publishing them all together? Right. So I got my MFA at Bennington College decades ago, graduated in January of 2000. So in an MFA and in any writing class, they tend to teach short fiction that a lot of instructors, in fact, don't want to hear about the novel because you're going to be changing instructors every six months. And so they that you sort of get steered towards that. And plus, the short stories are just like good exercise for a writer's mind. They're just they're a sprint. They're a sprint. They're this basically one moment and you've got to create everything in just these few short pages and beginning, middle, end. I mean, the character development, the plot, you've got to put the place, you've got to put everything in just a short few thousand words. So it's just very good discipline to every once in a while because to, to bring because then you bring that back to your novel writing, that that sort of intense focus and sort of keeping an, not an eye on your watch, but an eye on the pages. Make sure, it's a novel, that is. You start like going off and tangents here and tangents there. And that is often also why I write. I, I will pull a character or a scene out of a novel and work on it separately because so I keep that intense focus. In fact, there's um, two stories in this one. Yes, two stories in High Wire Act that people will see these characters again next year. I have, I just signed for a novel with Green Writers Press, uh, A Royal Circle, which is very much a a climate-driven novel. And and, uh, two of the stories from this are where I've, just needed to pull back with it away from the novel and to do. And plus, I like reading short stories. I mean, I love John Updike. I love Cheever. I love, I like short stories. So so you write what you love. Yeah, It's evident how much you love short stories, because I felt while I was reading it that these characters went through so much so quickly. Some of these stories were like a few pages long or like some of them I think was only like two or three pages long and there was so much happening at once. I I, I have a question about the ideas of what I felt like were 
fighting between like self-love and self-hatred and courage and stagnation, like especially with the the widow with the seal that ended up on her property. Could you talk a little more about that kind of a conflict? Why did the characters have to go through it? And how do you think that it is intertwined with climate change and nature in general? Yes. So that story in particular, let me see, it's called It Won't Be Long Now, Mm -hmm. which the title is actually from a joke the little girl tells in the story, which isn't really funny considering the circumstances. So short fiction is really just this moment in time. So this woman, this widow has this like past and loss and grief. And of course, that's what writing about climate is all about loss and grief. And she's working the loss of her husband while dealing with her daughter's severe asthma. And of course, asthma is um, one of the big um, diseases that are particularly impacted by climate change. The Everything being wet all the time, the microbes, it, it's just a dangerous. I mean, and asthmatics often require air conditioning, that's something which creates more energy and more isolation from nature. So this is like this one moment in time for this woman where she thinks it's her daughter's asthma attack. It's the seal in the backyard who's making the strange noises. And the grandparents with the daughter away for the day while they're while she's waiting for the marine biologist to come take the living seal, but he's wrapped in plastic. And of course, that was my big, that was the plot of my novel float. And I'm still very involved in plastics in the ocean. I live in Gloucester, Massachusetts. uh, So I'm on the ocean. These are plastics in the ocean is huge. So it happens. Marine mammals get washed up on the shore, wrapped in plastic and dying. And often at that point, there's not much that can be done. People try. So so this woman's moment is time is like, she's she sort of considers like the seal hers and that she is not, she is not experiencing sort of nature as the danger that it is, even though she should because nature and her daughter, the microbes, but yet she's drawn to the seal and I'm not going to give away endings, but it's, it's, it's like humans need to respect the boundaries of, of mammals. And so, so yes. Yeah, so this was just sort of this one moment in this woman's life, just that where conflict was everywhere that, that when you say all these different pulling things, I mean, that's what fiction is conflict. And so you just pile it on. It's not enough to just have an asthmatic daughter. You've got to just give her seal in the backyard, no money, everything. Just give her everything. Parents smoking in the car with the kids. Just one conflict after another. Yeah, there was this reality that I felt grounded in because of your refusal to infantilize anyone in your short stories. Like she could not, the the widow could not catch a break. But she still had to be a grown up and the seal was wrapped in plastic, but he, the seal was still had to find strength in its own right. Right. So I wanted to ask, what was this refusal of infantilization? What was it supposed to say to your readers? Did you have a, a, a message or a theme that you were trying to portray? I felt like I, I saw some of it, but I, I wanted to hear it in your own words. Yes. So 
So climate change is where everybody is the victim and they're the perpetrator. You know, that is that everybody is a victim of climate change, but it's humans who have caused it. So we are both, you mean, talk about your conflict. We are creating our own. And the seal is not like this cute, fuzzy, stuffed toy. I mean, we are so distanced from nature, you know, that animals, we don't know animals. And yet they are have their own reality. And so, and so she... The, and the widow, maybe she, it comes to a difficult ending because she is, she's as much as she seems like everything is like thrown on her and she's the victim, well, she's actively acting out of her own, not in her best interests by going down and messing with the seal. And so that's sort of what I was thinking, thinking when developing characters is that, of course, in fiction, nobody's ever all good or all bad. But particularly when discussing climate change, everybody is both victim and villain. So everybody, including animals themselves. Animals are not fuzzy things. Animals are, are very aggressive, and as they should be, to protect themselves. Yeah. Following that thread a little bit, I wanted to ask how closely entwined you believe that nature is with human beings, because it seems as if there was like a push and pull happening within the stories. It was humans Mm -hmm. versus nature sometimes, and then humans are nature and we cannot remove ourselves. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I've my from the beginning of my writing life, I've always been very connected with animals. I mean, my first novel was about Canada geese invading a golf course. And that's a huge issue and lots of conflict. And it was so, so animal, and I have animals, I have livestock. I've, we take in rescues here on the farm. And so I've always been very connected to animals. My sister's a veterinarian. We are animal people. And so there's, And then I see people come to the farm and interact with animals sometimes in incredibly stupid ways. Sometimes I find people like trying to get into the pen with a donkey or the pigs. And like, as I said, don't you, they could kill you. I mean, you know, that that donkey, I thought notoriously people understood that they kick. And then pigs, they think that they're cute little... I saw somebody coming in with their small children going into a pen. I said, oh my gosh, a pig is nearsighted and it's it's all molars. I said, it's if they smell food on a small child, it's over. I mean, it, they're like piranhas. And so there's as much as I love my pigs and they are, they're sweet and docile and would never do anything on purpose. They would never hurt a human on purpose who was leaving them, but they, you have to know animals. They are, they can be quite dangerous. So it's a lot of what the animal relationships are, what I see in my life with the livestock. And you get to really know animals when you live intimately with them. It's because we take in rescues, we're often having to put them down or they die on us. I lost a goat just two days ago. It's heartbreaking every single time. Somebody who knew the goat was not well 
said, you must get used to this. And no, you never get used to it because they're individuals and it's just heartbreaking that they don't live as long as we do. So I just have a lot of experience with animals. So it was just like you write what you know, and I just know animals pretty well. Yeah. Do you think that having the farm and the livestock has affected your writing recently? It's always affecting it because because just not, not livestock in particular, but this great extinction that we're going through, the great sinks sixth extinction that Elizabeth Colbert wrote about so well, that we're just losing all these wonderful animals across the world. It's it that is heartbreaking just to know the insects. We have 80% fewer insects than we had. That means fewer birds. It means fewer the whole we are so interconnected. And so an extinction of one species is really moves our own extinction that much closer to the end. So that's where I feel the, strongly about the animals. Yeah. The, yeah. So pivoting towards more of the human side of your short stories, yeah. you write really great arguments. And mm-hmm. I was particularly interested in the argument between the college-age daughter and her seemingly like conservative father. Oh, right. Yeah. There was a lot of internal conflict and external conflict going on. Could you talk a little bit about how you hold space for all these conflicting feelings and ideas? And yeah. Yes. So, gosh, here. Oh, here it is. Organic, local and cruelty free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the teenage, the college student. I, and stories come from funny places. I had been in a restaurant that was just so precious. It was just so precious. They had this fired pizzas and oysters, and it's all they sold. And it was just like in complicated cocktails. And I had always felt it was so far removed from, from what enjoyable experience, dining experience is. Because it's like, oh, no, we don't serve it with that because it can only be served like this. And there's no changes in the pizza. Um, So that's sort of uh, where that story stemmed from. I simply started writing it. So as I said before, like conflict, where is more conflict than college people who are back home for the first time of going away to college? And all of a sudden they've been adults on their own and they're coming back and they're treated like children. So I put them in this difficult restaurant to begin with. But, but you know, it's salvaged by having wonderful weight people and there's that relationship and everybody is wondering about, you know, sexual identity here and, but nothing can be said out loud in front of the family. The father's this patriarch and then the mother is so passive. I mean, it just made it as difficult for the our protagonist is possible for her to sit through this. She can't even swallow. So there is that conflict is it just sort of evolved naturally out of, I wanted a story in that setting. And that even though it might be a place or a restaurant that sources so carefully that it can be, it can be a rigid place to be. And so, and then I put, a difficult family in there. And that's where that story sort of just came from. Do you think that while you were writing or maybe after, do you think that the college age daughter and the father could reconcile at all, especially considering the ending? Or 
did you think that it was to show how separate those two worlds are? What 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 were you thinking of these two? Yeah, characters? so I was thinking like more and that ending uh, is ambiguous. I mean, they, they might well have a, a future together. And it'd be just like any other uh, parent-child relationship that evolves. And eventually the college-age student there will not care. All those things that just tortured her at dinner will roll off her back eventually, especially if she's got somebody to help her, like the, the wonderful wait- waiter that she had in helping that along. So I do sometimes think about, you know, the future, but I try not to let it influence too much about just the moment. As I said, it's like this, the short stories, this one moment of time, which with as much conflict thrown in as possible. Yeah. I think I find a lot of hope especially by the end of most of your short stories. Oh good. Uh, oh yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm surprised to find the hope every time because there is so much conflict. So many of your characters don't get a break at all. Right. But it does always end on a hopeful note and I maybe I'm hearing this from how you speak. I feel like you understand the realism of our situation I think that you take a very realistic approach to climate change and also you write at the end of the day there's always hope do you find that as well in like our situation do you believe that there is hope at the end of this tunnel as long as there is change yeah well I think there is hope one we could not move forward without it we have to have hope because otherwise civilizations would fall apart I mean but there is, I do try, I'm so glad that you saw some hope in there because it's not something that I I usually am blunt about in the stories, but I do believe there's hope. I believe that we're, that the great advances are being made. We are our own worst enemies once again. We know what the problem is. We know what to do about it, but because of political ill will, it's things stop. And we're going forward and backwards and forward and backwards. I mean, we're in, it's pretty dire, but basically I don't think that humans will go extinct. If you can call that hope, okay. Humans probably won't go extinct, but human civilizations as we know it now, I think will be radically changed within the next hundred years. I hope that it doesn't become all totalitarian and authoritarian, as happens under extreme crisis when people just want to hear good news. It's why there's so much climate denial. It's too, it's so big. And they just want to hear somebody say, oh, don't worry about that. Just follow me. There's no climate change. And let's turn the, let's go back to all gas powered vehicles. I mean, the fact that the U.S. post office a few years ago when DeJoy, who's still there, who can't be removed, canceled all the electric postal delivery trucks canceled them and insisted on gas-powered trucks. We're talking about, of all things, you'd think that a a postal truck would be the obvious thing to be electrified, and it was. And he said, no, that will hurt too many industries. So, yeah. Yep. That is, that's so strange to hear, especially since I've been thinking of this I believe it was Biden who had said that he wanted all governmental cars to be electric right. by a certain time. So That's wh- right. why not already just add yourself to that? Exactly. Yeah. Now, obviously, the DeJoy was a Trump 
nominate was nominated by Trump. And this was like part of the deal. No, we don't do electric. And also they made he pulled up half the post office boxes in the country just, to, just because it was the pandemic and we really needed those boxes, especially to vote. Right. So those had to go too. Yeah. So we are our own worst enemy again and again, over and over. So, so the hope is that we sort of can get over ourselves and move forward. We're in a good place to do that, but it could all be next elections. It could be all turned backwards again. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's realistic, but there's hope. Well, thank you, Joanne, for speaking yeah. with me. This has been an incredible conversation and I can't wait to read more of your work. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. Well, thank you for spending time with me and yep. I'll talk to you later. Excellent. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Talking Writing Podcast. We're an independent literary site and nonprofit organization based in the Boston area, but with contributors from around the world. Since our founding in 2010, we've relied on donations to keep publishing and podcasting. To donate to TW, you can use the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or visit talkingwriting.com slash donate. And of course, feel free to drop us a line at editor at talkingwriting.com.